0: Welcome to Kick is live. It is Sunday night, August 8th, the year of our Lord 2021, jam-packed as always, but here's the difference. 3 weeks have arrived from now until To be determined, sometime in January, three shows per week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, live, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, just as we are right now. If you're watching or if you're listening to Replay tomorrow morning, driving to work in Osilla, Georgia, that's your prerogative. I'm just happy you're with us. But look, if you haven't already subscribed to the channel, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, if you haven't already followed on Twitter and Instagram, at Josh, maybe you've been on the fence. Again, it's America. It's free country. It's your right to do so no longer. Don't hold out. Make sure you're subbed. Make sure you're watching these videos and make sure you're not missing a show because we don't put any filler in here. Everything that's on the bone this time of year is going to be meat, just as is the case tonight. So thank you for joining. Make sure you don't miss shows. Whispers and Intel, coast to coast tonight. Camps have opened pretty much everywhere. And so we've got our ear to the ground. It's nice that we have an entire network of team insiders and boy, are we leveraging them. So we're going to take you all over the place. Too many programs to name. I'm going to specifically talk about Georgia tonight, Uh, not the Scott Cochran deal. I know that's been circulating on Twitter. Uh, That's something that's been festering for several days now. It's a personal deal. It's not gonna negatively affect Georgia football, uh, but he's gonna be away for a little while. I'm not talking about that tonight. I just wanted to get that out of the way. I am talking about Georgia's offense this year because there are a lot of mixed opinions out there about what to expect from them. And see, if you're a Minnesota fan or a Nebraska fan, you may ask, what does that have to do with me? Well, Georgia... So go the Bulldogs. So goes a lot of the national title picture this year. And it could impact even teams in the Big Ten and access for teams in the Big 12. So this is a very important program to be watching this year. And the question is, are they going to flip that offensive switch like some of their other brethren have done in the SEC? Most recently, LSU, Alabama, is Georgia going to do that? We'll discuss that. We will also discuss in great detail some great news from Miami. Things are Things are sounding a lot more positive for the outlook of the Miami Hurricanes football program in 2021 than I think a lot of folks expected them to look, let's say, four months ago, which is another reminder. Do not marry yourself to spring and or preseason predictions because things change. All of that's happening tonight. We are going to give you the biggest questions in the Big 12 tonight. We're going to give you the biggest questions in the ACC tonight. And Colin, my word to you, we're going to do all that in under an hour. As I told you, a whole lot of meat on the bone. And as I told you, you, you cannot miss shows this time of year. We've got grand season previews coming up. The Ramen Noodle Express is about to be back on the tracks. As I told you, we're going three nights a week now. The Pate State mascot will be unveiled within the month before the season kicks off. We've got record projections, best, worst, and most likely coming up. We've got game predictions. We've got a jam-packed month and a jam-packed season, renaissance season, for that matter, ahead. So make sure you're tuned in, following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Josh. And I wanted to touch on this before we dive into the show tonight. We lost head coach for Florida State for many years, Bobby Bowden. Um, today, this morning, is when this news came out. I saw a lot of people put it a lot of different ways. I never played for Bobby Bowden, but I grew up on him. I grew up on watching those dominant Florida State teams. But here's the way I want to put it to you. Imagine building a program from scratch to national championship contender and winner. Imagine. Building a brand and putting it on the map, because that's what Bobby Bowden did no less than at Florida State. Imagine winning countless conference championships, a couple of national championships, a couple of Heisman Trophy winners. Imagine doing all that. Imagine finishing top five for almost a decade and a half straight. And yet, when you pass away, the first thing out of everyone's mouth is about something off the field. It's about your character. It's about the immense respect they had for you as a man. And if you watched today as the outpouring of support towards the Bowden family started to come out when the news was released, that's what you saw. Everyone knows how great a football coach he is, but I think the true testament to his character was all people wanted to talk about was Bobby Bowden, the man. And the football was kind of the backdrop. It was kind of the framework with which we knew him. But Bobby Bowden was an incredible guy. Try to find someone out there today or any day talking negative about Bobby Bowden. It doesn't happen. You never hear it. And so I just wanted to speak on him tonight uh, because that's, that's all I ever heard about Bobby Bowden. I never got to spend time with him. I know several people who did, but I never personally got to. Uh, but I can assure you, that's a guy who lived his faith out and who did a lot of things that you know about, but did immensely more for people that you don't know about. You don't know about it because he did it for the right reasons. And so I can assure you, those 91 years he lived in reality were filled with enough for about 10 lifetimes, but he is at this very moment where he wanted to be for those 91 years and lived his entire life to do so. So rest in peace to Bobby Bowden. So glad I got to watch him growing up. It heavily influenced and shaped the way that I saw college football and part of the reason I fell in love with college football. So I am very thankful That I got to witness that, and also um, our condolences go out to his family. All right, I wanted to switch gears, and there's no easy way to do it, but I want to dive into the show now. Uh, We are loaded wall-to-wall here, and the way I want to first start it off, as we will do pretty much every show throughout the month of August, is I want to take you across the country, and I'm going to deliver you the latest whispers and intel that we've heard. Now, right now, you know, we're just in shells. We're just in helmets and we're, we're in, in T-shirts in some cases. We're in shorts. Pads come on this week. So it will ramp up considerably. But here's what we're hearing. The first thing that I want to let you know is we are adopting Will Shipley on the show. Now, I've spoken glowingly about this guy. It's a five-star running back out of North Carolina. And he committed to Clemson. And I'm gonna put it as plain as I can. I know it's Clemson, and I know they got a ton of running back talent up there, and they got a lot of team talent this is gonna be a guy who's the best running back on this team by November, if not sooner. And it's not that anyone else up there has screwed up. It's not that anyone else up there is in some off-field trouble. It's just that I think Will Shipley is gonna be too good to keep off the field. Now, if you watch late kick and you watched it over the summer, you know we were already singing that tune. But now we start to get some validation to that opinion and you start hearing some whispers from Clemson fall camp. It's not that the coaching staff is surprised necessarily because they know what they saw when they recruited the kid. But you always wonder how big the eyeballs are going to be and how overwhelmed even some of the most talented kids in the world are going to be once they get on campus. Well, suffice it to say, the moment has not been too big for Will Shipley. Another thing that stands out is I was reading some of Anna Hickey's work over at Clemson247.com, and she was quoting a player. I can't remember who she was interviewing, but that player just kind of casually said, "Uh, Shipley, you know, he's one of the fastest players on the team. Interesting, because he's been there about 15 minutes Uh, one of the fastest players on their team. Now that's important because all the other attributes that you would want in the skill set of a running back are there. He is a very advanced pass catcher for his age. He's very physical, but he's just as good on the perimeter as he is between tackles. Uh, Formerly of 24-7, Charles Power did the scouting report on Shipley and he labeled him a complete running back prospect. And so there's no weakness necessarily. There's no area you look at and say, he's got to improve there. Well, we saw that in the spring and and felt that in the spring and summer, but now you're hearing a lot of that from Clemson. So Will Shipley, we adopt about 10 players a year on this show. Welcome to the late kick family, Will Shipley. Complete back, going to be a star for them on special teams, and I think he'll end up being their feature running back sometime this year. That's a guy far too good to keep off the field, even in Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about the Tennessee quarterback picture. Now, this is not a team that's going to contend for a national championship, but this is a team that's going to be very fun to watch because there's going to be a variance, wide variance, several games potentially, depending on how this whole quarterback situation shakes out. And it's a unique quarterback situation at Tennessee because it's not not like LSU was shaping up to be, where it was going to be a classic two-man fight. It was going to be Miles Brennan and Max Johnson. Here, it's a solid four corners match, Colin, to, to steal a pro wrestling reference. Colin, Director Colin, follows Tennessee very closely. And you've got the Hendon Hooker crowd out there. Then you've got the Joe Maurer power crowd. But more recently, Harrison Bailey and uh, the, the hype behind Joe Milton, I think, is what's been strongest. Now, Joe Milton's a guy who came in over the summer from Michigan. This is a time of year, and it's a time of camp that I would just caution you to be very careful. Because there are stars made at the quarterback position every August without fail during the acclamation period. This period, before any live bullets are flying, before any quarterbacks are being touched, and before pads have even gone on, is perfectly conditioned to showcase guys with live arms. And Joe Milton has got the livest arm in Knoxville, Tennessee, at least with eligibility to play at the University of. And so Joe Milton looks like a star every bit the way he looked like a star this time last year from Michigan, because it was just about this time last year where we started to start to hear a it was a soft drum beat. And then it was a louder drum beat. I can't hit the table too hard because our stars are gonna fall off. But we started to hear what ended up crescendoing to Cam Newton comparisons. That's not made up, that's not fabricated, it's real. There were Cam Newton comparisons off in the Michigan Twitter ether about Joe Milton and his potential. Well, Joe Milton did not have Cam Newton upside. Joe Milton had some of the tools that Cam Newton possesses. He's really big, he's really physical, and he throw the football uh, about a quarter of a mile. What they're eventually going to have to find out at Tennessee is whether he can make simple checkdowns, simple reads. Can he put some touch on a ball? If you got a back spilling out of the backfield and you need to put it over his shoulder, can he do that? Uh, can he get Checks done at the line of scrimmage in the manner in which Josh Heupel is going to demand that his starting quarterback be able to do. I'm not trying to sit here and knock Joe Milton out of the race by any stretch. He may very well be the starter. What I'm trying to do is temper, somewhat at least for the time being, some of the expectations that were blowing up the eye, Josh, over the weekend when some of those first whispers and intel from Knoxville started to come out, and lo and behold. The guy with the strongest arm on the team looks really good when all we're doing is really throwing against air out here. It's to be expected. So I still think this is wide open. I still have my money on Harrison Bailey, but there is very little smart money in the room right now. Even for people close to the program, I don't think there's a ton of smart money because even if you're close to the program, what do you really know? You got a brand new staff in there and the quarterback that is allegedly the leader in the clubhouse just got here. And so he really has not a whole lot of rapport built up with the coaching staff. So there's a lot that remains to be seen in the Tennessee quarterback battle. In Ohio State and in Columbus, more specifically, I'm going to eyelash in my eye. Whew, tough. I, I got to get new mascara, Colin. So at Ohio State, this running back situation is a classic example of what elite recruiting looks like. Master Teague, I would imagine if you open up your preview magazines out there, is listed as the starter in a lot of places. Penciled in as the starter for Ohio State at running back. And I won't push back that Master Teague is a very, very good running back. He would start, obviously, at most places in the country. I don't think he's going to end up being the long-term starter for Ohio State this year. In fact, it may be that multiple guys, younger guys, fresher guys that have come in via recruiting are going to overtake him. And again, I want to stress this is not an indictment on Master Teague. This is a consequence, in a good way, of elite recruiting. When guys like Travion Henderson walk in the door, a lot of times what can happen is you're there, you're established, you've done everything right, and you just get passed over. You just get recruited over. This doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen at many places, but this is the kind of program that it happens at, and it's a testament to the way they recruit. And so Travion Henderson is a guy, it's very early on in his freshman season in his first camp. So it's not that he has established himself. It's not that he's planted his flag or anything, but it's not just Travion Henderson. You remember a few months ago when we were doing some of our very initial Big Ten thoughts for the 2021 season, we started telling you that that coaching staff was in love with Mayan Williams. And it's not that Ohio State fans didn't know who Mayan Williams was, but I don't think outside of Columbus, many people have been paying attention to the name Mayan Williams. And they were raving about him. Like Behind the scenes, the coaching staff was raving about him. So we shared that on the show. Well, guess who's been taking RB1 reps up in Columbus? That, that's not the end-all be-all. But for now, that's a guy at the front of the line. And Travion Henderson's right there, too. Obviously, Master Teague's in the mix. But I don't know, if I fast forward to November and everyone maintain their health, I don't know how I'm turning on an Ohio State game in early November and I still see Master Teague ahead of either one of those guys, much less both of them. And that's not the only names involved here, but those specifically are ones I wanted to point out. It's a knife fight every day in practice at Ohio State. And it's beautiful, but it's also treacherous because you can do everything right and you can keep your nose clean and you can stay out of trouble and still wake up and head up to the facility the next day and you look at the order that the reps are going to be taken in, and your name's been bumped down the peg. And there's that kid, Travion Henderson. He just turned 18, didn't he? How's he already ahead of me? Because he's that good. Because he's that good. And that's the way it is at Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. It's why some of the best competition you'll ever see with those programs doesn't even take place on national TV. It's taking place on a random Tuesday afternoon in October at practice. That's where the hottest competition is going to be for a majority of the year at a place like Ohio State. Now I want to shift it to South Bend, Indiana. I want to talk about Notre Dame for a second. Mixed opinions out there about Notre Dame right now, because they have been in playoff contention for now several years in a row. They're kind of penciled into that tier two. A lot of you go tier three, I put them tier two, solidly tier two, but they're just kind of you a lot of people sing that song of you are who you are with Notre Dame. And they're singing it again this year. Because I can tell you what the outside perspective of Notre Dame football is this year. People want to know one question Did you add a dynamic presence at quarterback and did you significantly upgrade your receiver talent? If the answers to those questions, I guess there are two of them, if the answers to those questions are no, you're just going to be Notre Dame again to me. And what is Notre Dame? Well, to a majority of America, they're a good, solid program. Uh, They're not someone you can sleepwalk against. They're going to be very physical. But if you have racehorse receivers and you've got a dynamic quarterback or anything approaching those two commodities, they're not going to be able to trade points with you because that's just not the way they roll. And is that going to be any different this year is the only question. Remember when we interviewed Brian Kelly last year, he was brutally honest about this. He said, we've gone as far as we can go doing it the way we've done it which stands to reason we got to change or add something to the way we do it. Now, obviously, that something has to come in either recruiting or in what I think will be a more rare example at Notre Dame, the transfer portal. It's got to be a more dynamic presence at quarterback and a lot better presence in terms of explosive ability at receiver. Jack Cohn brings a lot of things. This is what I'm getting to. They have spoken very glowingly about him. He's the Wisconsin transfer. He's going to start at quarterback. Well, Brian Kelly says he's going to announce a starter at quarterback after the first scrimmage. Allow me to translate. I already know who's going to start at quarterback before the first scrimmage. So it's going to be Jack Cohn. I think everyone understands that. And they've spoken a lot about his leadership ability. And he is very much a guy who is not prone to mistakes. He's going to do what you ask him to do. That's the key. What can you reasonably ask him to do? And I would say until proven otherwise, it is safe and reasonable to assume that this is not going to be an offense that can stretch the field anytime they need to. Now they feel, the Notre Dame staff, they feel like they have upgraded at receiver. They feel like Jack Cohn is equal to or greater than what they've had there so far. And I could grant you all that and still not have my questions answered, is what I'm saying. So this is something to pay close attention to as well, because Notre Dame, if they were to ever get those questions answered now, Notre Dame all of a sudden goes from a team that has a ceiling of getting in the playoff to a team that has a ceiling of doing something in the playoff. But a reminder, this is just a brief introduction to how we do whispers and intel around here. There will be a lot more whispering and far more intel to come this week. And why is that? Well, because this week we ditched the shorts and we put on the pants and we put the pads in the pants and we ditched the t-shirts and we put on the full shells and we put on the shoulder pads and we put the helmets on. Maybe with those little bubbly protective things on them, but we put the helmets on. And so we're going to have a lot more because the soreness sets in this week. Full install goes into effect this week. Bodies get sore, minds start spinning, and then you start to find out once you've thrown it all against the wall and that sugar high of summer conditioning has worn off and you settle into the grind of camp, that's when we start to separate some of these position battles, and that's when we start to find out who's going to be for real, which of these freshmen are going to get serious looks versus which ones are eventually going to be scout team guys, and a lot of these quarterback battles, and we got several of them. I'm about to talk about some of them in a second. That's when they'll start to get sorted out. Really looking forward to this, in case you can't already tell, that will lead every show from now until we kick it off in early September or late August for some of you. Okay, I wanted to talk about a specific team here that I didn't even put in whispers and intel because I thought we've got enough here that deserves its own segment the Georgia offense this year, what do you think it's going to be? If you're a Georgia fan, if you're totally agnostic and you live in Stillwater, Oklahoma, but you watch Georgia because they're a big-time program, what do you think that offense is going to be this year? Georgia's got a stigma, and it's largely been earned, and that stigma has been they're a very solid program. We know they're going to be right there on National Signing Day. Seems they're going to do something to trip them, own, them own their own selves up eventually, uh, they, they'll make some terrible call or they won't have good enough quarterback play. Their offense will eventually cost them in one of the biggest moments of the season, whether it be a playoff game or an SEC championship game. That's the stigma of Georgia football. Again, that's not totally unearned. So I want to ask you do you think it's same old, same old this year, or do you expect a lot more revolutionary product offensively for Georgia? I wanted to pause between the word revolutionary and uh, the words offense in Georgia because I really wanted to let them simmer and sizzle there for a second. These are not words that we've put in the same sentence very often. You got two schools of thought out there about Georgia right now, and there are extremes. You got one extreme over here, which is the hashtag JT for Heisman crowd, and then you got over here, the far right, you got the Kirby going to Kirby crowd. The truth, as usual, is somewhere in the middle, but which is closer to reality? Let's dive into this. I want to tell you up front, I have little to no doubt that this Georgia coaching staff is fully committed not to just dip in their toe in the water of revolutionizing the offense, and that is the word I'm using intentionally, revolutionizing. I don't think they're dipping their toe in. I think they're ready to totally dive in to a revolutionary offensive concept this year, which is key because I don't think they've ever been there. Now, it's partly because maybe the head coach there, Kirby Smart, just philosophically It felt like that was oil and water compared to what he has believed in his whole life, or maybe it's because they didn't think they had the pieces, or maybe a little bit of both. But there are a few keys here, obviously. JT Daniels is key number one, so you got to have the right quarterback to run any kind of offense that you want to. Key number two is they finally have the depth and versatility at wide receiver to be able to do what you were going to expect them to do, what, what a revolutionary, more modernized offense would demand that you do. But number three, and I would argue maybe even important than the first two keys, is the coaching staff has to be all in on this. They've got to trust that they've, in, they've recruited the right pieces, and then they've got to trust the concept that we can no longer get by and achieve what we want to achieve by doing what we've done. This is really easy to say when you're sitting behind a microphone. It's so much harder to do in real life. If you're Kirby Smart, you've, you've been brought up as a defensive guy, first and foremost, and then you were at Alabama for a long time, and you watched them do it one way. About the time you hit the exit doors, about the time they started changing things around there. So you were never really on the inside of the Alabama bubble when that framework had been totally remastered. It had started, but it hadn't totally been remastered. Now it has. And now it's just a machine over there. I was doing the Dogs 24-7 podcast the other day with Jake Rowe, and we were talking about how Alabama's all of a sudden become this standard for wide receiver talent. Well, how high would people think you are if you said that eight or nine years ago when they may have had one stud receiver and then a lot of workman journeyman types, you know, the, the Nikita Stovers of the world. And all of a sudden they're sending four guys in the first round over the span of two years. Well, that happened, obviously not overnight, but it feels like it happened overnight. And if, you know, if you've watched the sport just over the last decade, even you've seen that shift. That's the kind of shift they want to see at Georgia. If you're a Georgia fan, that's the kind of shift you want to see because rightfully, understandably so, you look over there and you say, if they're doing it, why can't we do it? You're not about to tell me we can't recruit similar athletes. You're not about to tell me we're hurting for resources. We got everything that they have. And so if we're lacking, the finger is going to be pointed at the coaching staff. And I understand that. And I think it's fair. You invest fully. You expect a return on your investment. But I think they were ready last year. And this kind of bleeds into what to expect this year and why I'm so confident you're going to get what you want, or at least you're going to get a commitment to providing you what you want. I think they were committed to it last year. I think when Kirby Smart got pasted by LSU in the SEC championship game in 2019, I think he looked around, did a healthy inventory of his program and realized what we're doing is not good enough anymore. I've seen the future. And I've seen it several times now. I've played Bama, I've played LSU, I played Oklahoma, ended up beating them, but still got a a hearty taste of what that kind of new age offense is about. And we're Georgia, it's not Georgia State. We're not limited financially. We're, We're not strapped for cash around here. We got everything the big boys have. And so we get to choose what kind of offense we run. Why not choose to run the best? We can get the best ingredients. Why don't we make the best meal possible with these ingredients? I think they were ready to do it last year fate dealt them a hand that made it impossible. Part of it was COVID. I think part of it was that the roster was not ready. The quarterback position was not ready. And even when JT Daniels eventually played, he wasn't ready. I had a number of my buddies last year say, well, you claim that you think they were committed to doing this this year, but they had to scrap those plans. Well, now that JT Daniels is in, why don't they just just reinsert that plan? Well, because it wasn't Xbox. You're talking you're not talking about minor changes. You're not talking about inserting a couple of pages into a play, but you're talking about a total philosophical shift, really, and you're asking them to do it in the middle of football season. That's not something you do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, snap your fingers on Thursday, and we're here, we're ready. That's not the way that works. But what can work is when you already got the OC in the house with one year's benefit, and you've already got the eventual quarterback in the house with one year's benefit, and a lot of the receiver talent now is acclimated, and a lot of your personnel period is acclimated. Now you get to go into 2021 with a full spring. You get to go in with a full off-summer conditioning program. JT Daniels famously took a lot of these receivers out to California because the ball just travels better in California, I'm told. But it's about cohesiveness and building chemistry. We get all that. But the number one pushback that you're going to get, especially down where I'm from in the South, if you were to present this to the Kirby going to Kirby crowd, the Kirby going to Kirby crowd is going to tell you, well, JT Daniels may not be all you think he is. And I'm going to grant you this. Now, a lot of these folks who are listing him as the favorite, the odds on favorite to win the Heisman, I don't have any problem admitting to you someone touting JT Daniels as the presumptive Heisman favorite in the preseason, I would advise to pump the brakes. I don't have any problem telling you that. I don't have any problem granting you that he may not live up to expectation. This is not some slam dunk for me. What I do think is also probably equally as possible, if not greater than equally as possible, is maybe he's a lot more than you think he is. And what this would tie into is, you know, Georgia opened against Arkansas last year. How did JT Daniels do in that game? He didn't do anything in that game because he was not medically cleared to play. They played Bama a couple of weeks later. How did JT Daniels look in that game? He didn't look like anything. They played Florida a month later. Ditto. He didn't look like anything because their medical staff wouldn't clear him. Well, there was a reason for that. It wasn't that they were anti JT Daniels. And so even when they did clear him, I'm not one that believes the guy was just all of a sudden magically 100%. Now, what does that mean? Did it mean it shaved uh, 1.5 seconds off his 40 time? Does it mean that he lost 20% of his arm strength and he'll all of a sudden gain it back? No, but that's not the way a football game works. The way a football game works is if you're third and four against Clemson in week one and you're in plus territory, you're on their 39-yard line and they're leading you 23-20. It's late third quarter, but you're driving on them. And here comes Brian Brzee off the edge and it's third and six and you have The mobility, and you have the wherewithal in the pocket, and you have the physical awareness to just sidestep. And instead of sacking you, he just brushes you with his arm, and you regain footing, and you deliver a strike across the middle 15 yards downfield, and it's first down Georgia, and you go on to win the game because of that drive. Could you tell the difference between that person, the person capable of making that play, versus the person who gets sacked? If you were watching him work out in the summer, could you tell that? Person A has the ability, and person B doesn't. No, it's not something that shows up like that, but in reality, that's the difference in a football game. What I'm telling you is these incremental differences in one's physical ability when being cleared but not 100% versus being closer to 100% and with an entire O word to recuperate could make the incremental difference in what could end up being the difference in a couple of one-possession games this year. And so I'm saying all that to tell you, I think they have the tool at quarterback now, JT Daniels, along with the versatility at receiver, to do what they wanted to do last year, that they now can fully commit to doing because the ingredients are in place. And unlike last year, the calendar has cooperated with them. So it won't take long. You know, for anyone who wants to push back on that, it won't take long. I think Colin pointed out uh, in the spring, I said something like, I think Georgia's offense is going to be top three in the country. Let me, please let me, uh, let me correct myself. When I say top three, I don't mean top three in terms of raw statistical output. They're going to be in the top three, whether you want to go average yards per game or points per game. But I mean, from an efficiency standpoint, I think they have the top end, top five-ish potential. I think that's what they have. So that in and of itself is a very, very lofty statement, but I do not want to get boxed into this whole, I predicted Georgia to be top three offensively. I know how that ends. I I am normally the one pushing someone up against the wall who makes a statement like that, so I definitely don't want to be in that position. Probably still am, though. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It's the NFL off season, but on Pick Six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The football season never stops. Hosts Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, let's move on. I want to go south a little bit, south of Georgia even. there is some, There are some things happening at Miami. So, Colin, let's start it this way. Three, two, one. You know, some of the best news I heard all weekend was out of Miami. I'm not talking about Dolphins practice. Tua doing some things down there, but I'm not talking about the Dolphins. I'm talking about the Canes. The entire spring, the entire summer, the entire Preview Magazine culture, everything about Miami has hinged on the health of Derek King, right? Even we've talked about it. And so the health of Derek King's knee has been assumed to be on the trajectory to get him ready to start the season. Having said that, and I will admit that even I felt like this, even I have looked at him and thought to myself, it's one thing to be able to play to start the season, But is he really going to be ready to fully utilize his skill set? And that includes mobility. I mean, is he really going to be in a place, after tearing his knee in a bowl game, is he really going to be in a position to do that? And i got to be honest with you, I have not believed it until this past weekend. And at practice, again, not, not much of significance happens in the first few practices that you can take with you and a month later say, remember when that happened in the first two practices? I knew then that this was in store. But with Derek King, it may have happened. So over the weekend, they're practicing, and Derek King, I, I wanna say they were running some, some read type stuff, and he keeps and he jukes a couple of defenders and he just turned it loose. I mean, he fully throttled it right down the middle of the field and did what a fully mobile, 100% healthy quarterback would do. And so everyone goes crazy at Miami practice. And the beat reporters afterwards, I mean, any live microphone they had, they couldn't get enough of players and coaches, Manny Diaz included, just glowing about it. Now, you may listen and say, is this not foolish? The dude did one rep in practice. Well, if that's the way you look at it, yeah. But let's remember it and view it in proper context here. No one has had any clue that the Duke can run. He's told you he can. The returns out of Miami have been, we believe he's gonna be 100%. But again, because we've seen so many people and heard so many people say it like that before, and we've watched them limp around noticeably when the season finally gets here, you just have to see it to believe it. I was skeptical. And so all of a sudden, when you hear that, you say, wait a second, he actually did it? Like he actually does possess that ability? And then after practice, Derek King says, almost in an I told you so tone, why are you so surprised? Oh, and by the way, when they asked him the knee brace question, he said, no, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't need knee braces, not for aesthetics, and not for medical purposes. I'm not wearing knee braces. I don't need them. So he's told you he's recovered, and it looks, for the time being at least, that he is recovered. And so it's been hard for me to, in some ways, it's been hard for me to fully marry myself to the idea that Miami can win the coastal division because I have not been able to marry myself to the concept that Derek King is going to be all the way back. Well, now I believe he will be all the way back. And with that in mind, I believe Miami absolutely can win the coastal division. Now, a lot of folks are going to get hung up on them opening against Bama and in all likelihood taking an L against Alabama. That's not what you should get hung up on. Watch them. Now, if they get beat 56-3, to then yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. But watch them after the Bama game. Because after the Bama game, you're looking at the schedule right now. They've got two games that are not layups by any stretch, but they're not going to be on the national radar. They play App State. They play Michigan State. They play a directional school. And then they dive back into conference play for a Thursday game, I want to say, against Virginia. None of those games are going to peak the national meter but they're critically important. Because whatever we learn and whatever that coaching staff learns, Derek King included, against Alabama, you then get to go to work correcting those things and getting yourself at as high a cruising altitude as you can for what comes on October 16th. With nine days rest while the Tar Heels are playing their seventh game in seven weeks, Miami goes to Chapel Hill for a game that could very well determine the status of the ACC Coastal. And if you all of a sudden tell me that Derek King is going to be 100% and you tell me they got a month and a half's worth of games to build up to that, plus they've got a a total schedule dynamic advantage heavily tilted in their favor. I'm not conceding that this is just an overwhelming North Carolina favor to win the division sort of deal anymore. I think a lot of those odds have baked into them the skepticism about Derek King. So that's the first thing I want you to focus on. But now I want you to think about what I have sat at this very table or desk, I guess we call it a desk in our world. I've sat at this desk and I don't know how many times over the span of the last few months told you the key to balancing out college football is Miami and Florida and Florida State reclaiming the state of Florida and Texas A&M in Texas and USC in the state of California and Texas respectively. This could actually have a lot to do with that. They're not immediately connected, but now I want you to think forward a little ways. This is huge for Miami for obvious reasons in 2021. It helps them contend a lot more in the Coastal Division race. But number two, it helps them get their young quarterbacks in Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia valuable development and repetition, but here's the third thing it does. It turns 2021 into a giant recruiting marketing campaign for Manny Diaz and Rhett Lashley and the Miami offense. We have watched it happen with Clemson. We have watched it happen with other programs where you get a star quarterback that is put on display for the nation to see other quarterbacks see it, other receivers see it, and if they do what I think they're capable of doing this year, and if Derek King does live up to that lofty expectation, and Rhett Lashley with now his first full year and second year overall into the program to be able to fully sink his teeth into this offense— If it performs at an optimum level and every quarterback in America, including several in the state of Florida, are seeing it and all that South Florida wide receiver talent seeing it, it could very well be what pushes a future Miami recruiting class over the top. And it could be what all of a sudden lands you one or multiples of elite quarterbacks and wide receiver talent. And it's not just wide receiver talent. A safety can look at Miami and say, oh, if the big boys are going there offensively, I could stay in South Florida and have a chance to win games at a high level. I'll stay home. Absolutely, I'll stay home. Only reason I was ever going to leave is because I didn't think I had that available to me down here. It could change a lot. And so you think about this, and in one hand, it's just one player and it's just one year. But on the other hand, it could be a much bigger domino than anyone realizes. So it just makes it mean so much more. When I say things like, well, they returned their top three receivers from last year. Well, that means as much as your quarterback and OC make it mean. It means as much as your offensive line makes it mean. I'm going to talk about the offensive line a little bit more later in the show. I mean, add add Charleston Rambo from the transfer portal. What does it mean? It means as much as your offense and coordinator and quarterback can make it mean. And so it looks increasingly like that means a whole lot in Miami, maybe a whole lot more than we thought it would. Okay, let's take a breath. You would think I have investment in Miami. Almost sweaty out here a lot more to do with the air conditioner in here than anything else. So I wanted to toss in something that we did for a couple of other conferences the other day. wanted to offer up some of the biggest questions in the Big 12 and the ACC going into 2021. Let me start at Texas. I intentionally didn't touch on the horns earlier in the show because I wanted to touch on this right now. There's an interesting little development at Texas. Granted, as is the case with everyone we talk about tonight, it's still very early in camp. But if you, again, are a big believer in preview magazine culture, I would imagine a lot of those preview mags had listed as the starter at quarterback for Texas this year, the name Casey Thompson. And Casey Thompson may very well be the starting quarterback for Texas. But my first biggest question here in the Big 12 is, does Steve Sarkeesian know who his quarterback's going to be? Because if he doesn't know who it's going to be, obviously the author and editor of a magazine can't know, nor can I know, nor you know. Now we can guess, but I don't think Sark knows yet. And if some truth serum were injected into him, based on what we're hearing from the first few practices in Austin, he may be leaning slightly a direction other than Casey Thompson, which would mean Hudson Card. Now think about Steve Sarkeesian, and they've got a scrimmage this coming Saturday. It's gonna go a long way in deciding this. But think about Steve Sarkeesian and what you saw from him at Alabama last couple of years. What was paramount at the quarterback position? What took Matt Jones from a guy who couldn't get on the field and not much was expected of, and a guy that Bryce Young was going to come in and overtake. What took Mac Jones from that to being a first-round NFL draft pick? Timing, accuracy, a good enough arm, but being able to throw receivers open, or in other words, great touch. That's what took Mac Jones to eventually the level that he got taken to in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Why do I mention all of these intangibles? Well, it's because that's what they keep saying about Hudson Card out of Texas. He's the guy who throws the better ball. He's the guy who's got a little bit more accuracy. And I'm just telling you, if they were saying it about Casey Thompson, it would be affirmation for a lot of people's already held idea of what the Texas quarterback position is going to be. And so they'd say, yep, I knew it. But since it's being said about Hudson Card, people are saying, oh, it's still early in camp. Oh, it is. It is. And Casey Thompson may very well take this job by the throat when the pads go on and it's time to scrimmage. But I'm just telling you, don't discount when they say that kind of stuff about Hudson Card. Don't discount it. You don't know anything about Steve Sarkeesian. You don't know anything about what he really feels about his roster out there. That staff hadn't been there half a dozen years. You don't have multiple case studies on this, in other words. So you could get a little surprise thrown your way uh, by the time that Louisiana game rolls around. Now let's go to a team that is widely expected to contend for a national championship this year, and that is the Clemson Tigers. You think back, what year was it, Colin? It was 2018, the the 2018 season at least, when they beat Alabama out in Santa Clara. Not my favorite host city in the world, but they did give me a sweet book bag that I still use every day, even to this day. So thank you guys for that. What stands out the most about that game when Clemson just mopped the floor with Bama, splattered them? Only time we've ever said that about Bama. But Bama got splattered. There was just tied all over the place out there. What stands out to me is Clemson receivers, it felt like 50 times that night, made catches on balls that weren't 50-50 balls. They were far more difficult to catch than that. I would call them like 20-80 balls or 30-70 balls. And you just see a hand. You see a hand. And it boom, it's Justin Ross. That was his coming out party. And that's what stood out. Well, how do you make those catches? You have supreme athleticism, but you've got length. That's what you have. Next question in the ACC is, is the Clemson wide receiver room back to being an elite unit? Because when you think back to that 2018 Bama beatdown, you think about length and you think about incredible circus catches at receiver. With that in mind, and the announcement of Justin Ross being cleared by Debo Swinney, I want to read you some stats here right quick. They're simple. It's just some height and weight. Justin Ross, 6'4", 205. EJ Williams, 6'3", 190. Joseph Nada, 6'3", 220. Frank Ladson, 6'3", 205. So everyone can dunk without barely having to jump at the receiver core this year for Clemson. And what that means is, at least from an athletic standpoint, they finally look again for the first time in a couple of years like they did in 2018. What does this mean ultimately? Well, when you got the kind of quarterback they'll have at Clemson, then it probably means a lot. So it probably first means that they're going to crucify the rest of the ACC. But then it also probably means when they get into one of these playoff type situations against an Alabama or against a Georgia or an Oklahoma, Ohio State, whoever it is, USC, let's just throw a random school in there. Why why don't we? It means that they are not smothered and they are not out-athleted on the perimeter. And in some cases, that's what you ended up seeing. Not very much, but you saw it, for instance, against Ohio State. Don't think you're going to see that this year. So Clemson, because of that, among other reasons, has a great shot to win it all this year. Now I want to go right back to where we were just at a couple of minutes ago with Miami, but a totally different angle here. There has been a lot written about De'Eric King. There's been a lot written about Miami and expectations. But I want to ask you very specifically, are you ready? to live in a world where offensive line is a strength for the Miami Hurricanes. Because I can't remember, in several years doing this show now, the last time that we entered a season and I could honestly look at you and say, you know what I like about Miami? Offensive line. Offensive line looks good. Well, it does this year. 138 combined starts returning is close to an all-time college football record. Now, the kickback could be, well, okay, are they good? Well, I don't think they're wall-to-wall first-rounders. They may not even be wall-to-wall first team, all ACCers. They have some candidates that fit that description. But what they have is continuity. What you have is a unit, at least, that you think you can count on. So think about the chain of events here. Everyone wants to know what Derek King can do. Everyone wants to know what Cameron Harris and company could do at running back. All these receivers, they feel like they're as deep as they've obviously been under Manny Diaz at receiver. All of these pieces, Will Mallory at tight end looks to do some big things this year as Brevin Jordan departs. But all that's contingent on quarterback play. This is the same kind of thing we've said about Florida several times over the last few years, and it's the same kind of theme with Miami. And for that matter, we said it about Florida State. It's it's like an epidemic up and down the state of Florida at the Power Five level. Well, Miami doesn't have to worry about the other two, but as for their own house, it looks like they've got offensive line figured out. So again, I don't want to I don't just I don't want to fire off uh, bottle rockets of expectation from Miami on the show tonight, even though it kind of sounds like I have. This is something to monitor very closely because, see, a lot of you bet futures, and a lot of you want to bet those week one games, and a lot of you want to bet prop bets for who's going to win a conference. I'm telling you right now that a lot of the ACC numbers have been built with the idea of skepticism towards the health of Derek King and skepticism somewhat overall because of that about the quality of team Miami can have. Well, one of the, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but one of the great added benefits of having a together offensive line, a fully gel cohesive offensive line, is it helps keep that quarterback upright a whole lot more often during the season. And if you're coming off a knee surgery, it greatly reduces risk there. So just something to keep in mind. And lastly, I want to go to my old stomping grounds, even though I've never been to the state. Ames, Iowa is the place. Iowa State is the team. You're looking around at top 10 polls out there. The JP poll will be coming out later this month. You heard me right. How much better can Iowa State get? Everyone's got them listed in the top 10, as they should. We're going to have them helpfully rated inside the top 10 in the JP poll. What's the max potential for them this year? Because to reference Preview Magazine culture for a third time tonight, they check all the Preview Magazine culture boxes. They got returning starters. How many? They got 20 returning starters. Their entire offense returns and they've got a returning head coach and an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator and a quarterback. They got all those boxes checked. So preview magazine culture would tell you they could probably go win the NFC North because returning starters is all it takes to win in college football, apparently. Well, we all know that's not true. It's one of the more overrated stats, but it does mean something. Having said that, how much does it mean here this year? Because Iowa State, as has been very well chronicled by this point, this is not a roster loaded up with four and five-star talent. And so the fear, if you had it, would be well, they're so good at developing guys, and they have guys without that truly elite top five NFL draft pick type ceiling of potential on them that maybe they just are who they are. So maybe this team returns everything from last year, but what if that team already was the maximum potential of what it could be? I'm going to counter that. And I'm going to tell you, I think you're remembering Iowa State in 2020 being a little bit better than they actually were. What do you remember Iowa State being? 'Cause I don't think a lot of you remember them being nine and three. I don't think a lot of you remember them losing to Oklahoma State or losing to Louisiana to start the season. People don't remember that. They remember a very competitive game against Oklahoma where they were, I think, minus two or three in the turnover battle, and they lost a one possession Big Twelve Championship game after beating OU in the regular season. You do remember that. And then they played Oregon, and they beat Oregon pretty soundly in the Fiesta Bowl, and so they surely finished on fire. But I think a lot of folks remember them as being a lot closer to their maximum potential last year than they actually were. And so this year, I do think there's room for improvement. What I would love to see, and I think that last year takes care of it, is I would love to see them start fast. I think there'll be a premium placed on that because of the week one debacle against Louisiana last year. But I would love to see them play at a high level all year. And I would love to see them in a heads-up matchup against Oklahoma where turnovers weren't a factor. It was just an even turnover game and just watch those teams play. Because I'm a believer last year, they may end up beating Oklahoma if that stat is even. Now that doesn't mean anything because Oklahoma's a different team this year. And even though you've got a lot of the same pieces, for all we know, Iowa State could be a different team this year. Those, the returning starters doesn't always equal same team. We've seen that many times in college football. So the kicker, I think, with the whole Iowa State concept of them hitting their ceiling already is I don't think they hit their ceiling last year. And so if they hit it this year, I still think there's room for improvement. Maybe not incremental, like 20, 25%. Well, I guess that wouldn't be incremental. That would be quantum improvement. But I think there's room for improvement. So those are some of the biggest questions in the ACC and the Big 12 that we have. Really crisp show tonight. I told you I'd get it in in under an hour. Hey, I got one thing to ask of you. I don't do this very often, but I'm gonna do it tonight because I promised that I would and I uh, care very much about this. Spence Dalton is a name that I want you to know about. Back in Georgia where I was over the weekend, I was made aware of something that happened in Oconee County. It was back in June. Spence Dalton is a first responder. He works for Fire and Rescue in Oconee County. So they have a tree down one night and he's out cleaning up tree damage. And a lot of times what happens in these situations is maybe you got some cones, maybe you got some flashing lights, but there aren't 15 state patrol out there to slow traffic down. And people are really bad about not slowing down as much as they need to in some of those cleanup zones. Well, that happened here. And he got hit, got blindsided as he was out trying to remove a tree that was across a road, I guess after a storm and driver stops, then speeds off. Now, someone else who was on the scene eventually went and got the driver. So that I'm not asking you for. What I am asking you is if you're watching on YouTube, look down here and I have put a link to a fundraiser for Spence Dalton. If you can afford to, and I know good and well you guys will follow through because you've done it before, uh, above and beyond anything that I could have imagined you being able to do when we helped out with the hurricanes down in the Gulf Coast. A lot of you remained anonymous when you did that. I appreciated it. They need help. That family needs help because there are significant medical medical bills that they have to pay. And so this is back down in Georgia. It's very close to me. And so I, if you can, would ask that you guys check out that link and help out right after we go off the air. I'm going to tweet out a link to it. So one way or another, you'll be able to find it. And that's the only time I'll have to request this. And I know you guys will come through. So thank you so much for that. Make sure you're following, by the way, on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh. We are not going to have to wait until Thursday for another show. We'll be back here. Same time, Tuesday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. We are wall to wall from now until we crown a national champion sometime in January. I don't even remember what city it is, but that's a long way away. Until then, for Director Colin, for our entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Bate, ecstatic about finally getting to camp season. See you again Tuesday night. Until then, take care and God bless.